You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, NVIDIA. Boy, it knocks it out of the park with earnings that blow past estimates. Shares, they're still at that all-time high. We'll bring you the details. Plus, we'll have full market coverage and cover the other tech names reporting results like Snowflake and China's Meituan. And we talk all things artificial intelligence with CEOs of Twilio and Hugging Face. But we start with the AI story that is pervasive for the entire market. And NVIDIA, even though it comes off of its highs, though we're trading, what, in excess of 6% higher early in the day, we're still at a record. We're up more than... One, almost at two percentage points higher, but extraordinary where some of these price targets have been moved to. $1,100, one price target from Rosenblatt. We're looking at 479 This could still double, Ed. It's an amazing set of numbers. Yeah, let's get right to the numbers, right? This is the third consecutive quarter where NVIDIA's guidance for the current fiscal quarter was way ahead of expectations. Revenue in the fiscal third will be $16 billion, plus or minus 2%. As you see on your screen, in the, in the second quarter just gone, data center is everything. $10.3 billion, way past the expectations of almost $8 billion. And if you look at the commentary, Caro, the growth is coming from the United States. It's the hyperscalers and the enterprise company. But it was also interesting to note that China accounted for 20 to 25 percent of data center revenue, which is well within its historic range. I mean, the fact that we're seeing it firing on all these cylinders, whether or not we're seeing it being a data center story, I thought what was interesting in a Morgan Stanley note, just saying the pervasiveness of the small companies, small cloud providers that want to be in on an AI, not just the huge hyperscalers as well. Yes. It's a really good point because, for example, AMD, a competitor, right, opened up 2% in this morning's open. It's now down almost 8%, mm. a swing of 10%. The market sees yields rising ahead of Jackson Hole. But how much of that is the strength in response on NVIDIA? You know, they are direct competitors for GPUs in the server space. NVIDIA, you're right, it's off-session highs. What's so interesting in that Morgan Stanley note, by all, Morgan Stanley's estimation, NVIDIA is only meeting 50% of the demand that's out yes. there. So when they talk up supply improving as well, it gives confidence that the outlook longer term is strong. And I think you've raised this point, and it's one worth dwelling on. 
the analyst reaction, the price targets, one after another being raised, or no single sell on this stock. Just look at that graphic. Yeah, values tripled beyond three, a trillion dollars of market cap. The final sell, final analyst throwed in the ta- threw in the towel, which was Morningstar. Really quick, they did give us a note of caution mm. and said on China that even if U.S. technology export restrictions are increased in the near term, there won't be an immediate effect. Why? Because demand around the world for the HDX server designs is so great. But long term, they called it um, uh, basically uh, the removal of opportunity in what is the world's key market for data center and also electronics. So China is a long-term question. Yeah, Yeah, it is for ARM Holdings as we approach that particular IPO and it is for this particular company as well, the exposure to the demand there. Yeah. Well, we got the numbers out of the way, but I think we have to look forward. Let's bring in JP Scandalios, Franklin Equity Group, portfolio manager, $125 billion in assets, and you guys hold NVIDIA across multiple funds. Let's just start with a simple question. What was your take from this NVIDIA earnings print? Certainly, and thank you for having me. Um, <clears throat> as you guys alluded to, you went through the numbers. That kind of growth, we just we just don't see. 88% sequential growth uh, and 141% sequential growth in that all-important data center business that you referenced, which is now 76% of total revenues. Five, 10 years ago, and I've been covering the group for about 30 years, five, 10 years ago, NVIDIA was a gaming company. And now, as you said, it's all about uh, data center. So there's two here, two things here, right? Uh, fundamentals, outstanding, um, huge beat, huge raise. It's like The Godfather 2, the sequel was as good as the uh, predecessor. Um, so nothing there. And I think Abigail alluded to it. Uh, there was a lot of, if you if you had been paying attention, I'm sure you were, during the quarter, uh, expectations were so, so high. And there's a lot of people who get uncomfortable with parabolic growth like this. We're much more comfortable on Wall Street with steady, or, yeah. you know, linear growth. And this kind of growth, people uh, optically right away say, well, this can't continue. Uh, and certainly there is a law of large numbers, uh, but they are so well positioned. Yeah. Uh, that that for the for the foreseeable future, I suspect fundamentals uh, will remain very strong. And Ed, you mentioned it. They they conveyed that they're getting additional capacity and they have more demand than they know than they can address. I'm interested more broadly with the fact that the competition is this. Why we're seeing the likes of AMD fall off? Are people feeling that really this is the winner that takes all, or is that more a sign of market gyrations that's happening on the day? I think it's the former. I think a Lisa Sue has done an excellent job at uh, AMD, and I think AMD, given their limited resources, went after the CPU and especially the data center CPU market first, and they're doing really nicely there relative to Intel, especially when you compare it to, again, five or ten years ago. Uh, and I think now they've just gotten with their MI300, they're coming into uh, the data center GPU market. Uh, and the issue is, can they gain some share? And I think there was some expectation at, throughout the quarter as that product comes to market that they would gain share. They're not, you know, the killer of NVIDIA, but mm-hmm. they're going to gain some share. And I think with such strong results from NVIDIA, and not just the results, but the guidance, of course, but also their product lineup. They're just canvassing between inferencing and training, uh, between the networking on the InfiniBand side and Ethernet, that I think some investors are saying, ah, this is going to be a real uphill battle um, climb for AMD. That, that'd be my guess. 
I mean, Ed, it feels as though many are betting NVIDIA is the only picks and shovels out there at the moment, but only right. from a product perspective of offering, but just the breadth of where their customers are coming from. It's why the level of detail is so key, Caroline, right? Just, I'm really sorry to interrupt, JP. Just point out one thing, you know, loads of analysts ask Colette Cress, give us detail, which product? Right, is it H100? It's, it's broadly HDX server chip, right? And I think Jensen made the point that you know, H100 is not just a single chip. It has a trillion transistors in, in combination. You don't just sort of hand it over to the customers. But did you hear enough from them that the pipeline of future products maintains that technology lead, JP? You know, I did. I think HGX is just getting started, right? And Grace on its own and Grace Hopper uh, CPU-GPU combination is just coming to market uh, now. Um, their Ethernet uh, product spectrum just coming to market. Bluefield, their DPU, Bluefield 3, kind of just getting going. Uh, and then you add on top of that all their software offerings. So, Yes, I don't. I don't think this was like okay. That's the game over, and now time to move on. And Carolyn brings up a great point. To some degree, there's just not many uh, AI companies, especially generative AI companies, that are monetizing uh, this robust trend uh, today. And so there is a scarcity value there. JP, I think we need to look at what Colette Cress had to say about China long term. That if you know, U.S. Ex technology export controls are in place long term. She's calling it a loss of opportunity in that market for U.S. Uh, semiconductor makers. How seriously do you take that warning? Well, I take it very seriously. I've done uh, several meetings with and a podcast with uh, Chris Miller, who wrote the book uh, Chip Wars, that, that is often cited. And uh, pub we've, there's public filings. We own TSMC as well. Uh, it, it's one of my major concerns, just because very difficult to analyze uh, the political uh, back and forth between China and the U.S. And, and how far our government will go and how far their government will go. And so certainly to your point, I try to address it with um, adjusting my terminal growth rate. Because as you say, if you take out that economy, uh, and that market, uh, certainly it will be uh, a lower terminal growth rate uh, over time. And it's just a, we will see what happens, but, mm. but certainly something to follow, as if we don't have enough to follow in the semiconductor industry, uh, another thing to watch very closely. Well said. One thing that many an investor was following was the buyback, enormous. Where else could they, should they, be allocating that money at these sorts of price points, be buying back their stock? Is it because they believe the stock has got yet further to run, as some analysts do? Why not more in R&D? So they spend, they already spend a lot, well, a tremendous amount in R&D. And so I'm, I'm willing to, to give them a, a, a pass there, if you will. Uh, I think what it, it says, uh, one thing it says is M&A, Again, going back to China, that M&A is going to be very difficult to get approved through these, all these regulatory bodies. Uh, and so you, you turn around and you say, well, what else can we do with it? Well, we have $4 billion left in our buyback. Let's add $25 billion to that. I think it's sending a message to the market that they're very comfortable, even at these prices, that their prospects are so strong and the outlook so positive that they're willing to buy back their shares. And you're right. It's a, the, again, it's like their results. The... the 
the sticker tag is a massive number, but you're talking about a $1.1 trillion market cap company. So at the yes. end of the day, the number of shares that they'll actually buy back, it, it's great to see, don't get me wrong, but put it in a little context, I guess. Yeah, hey, either the stock's undervalued or they got nothing to spend on. JP Scandalios of Franklin Equity Group, great to have you here on Bloomberg Technology. So further news regarding, of course, the plane crash that presumably killed the Wagner founder, Prigozhin. We're hearing from Putin himself saying an investigation into Prigozhin's death will be completed overall. He's saying overall that there are concerns and indeed an investigation will be completed, expressing condolences over the Prigozhin jet crash and saying he was a talented man and a businessman more on that global news throughout the day. But meanwhile, let's just return to technology and China's Meituan in particular seeing its fastest pace of sales growth in two years. That's thanks in large part to a rebound in dining and travel demand. Bloomberg's Isabel Lee is here with more. And for many, that's a hard thing to swallow around all the narrative that China is slowing, the consumer is weak, the housing crisis, the wealth crisis. It's kind of a good report and it it takes some analysis because yes, the Chinese economy is slowing down, but because it's slowing down, consumers are shying away from big ticket items like an expensive sofa or something like that. And they're leaning more into the little pleasures of eating out or traveling. Meituan is a giant in the delivery business and this bounce back and um, travel and eating out really help its earnings this quarter, especially after the COVID pandemic when yes. we know that China had years of stringent lockdowns. So sales rose better than expected um, at 33% and Meituan swung from an operating loss earlier a year earlier to an operating profit. So it's really good news for this report. But again, we also focus on the outlook and the outlook is kind of shaky. Investors um, are saying that, you know, Maybe we won't see the same growth. We are expecting a slowdown. So it's still kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to these Chinese companies. But for now, it's kind of good news, so we'll take it. Yeah, there's so much analogous with this Meituan report and what we saw with Uber really playing up AI as well, while the macro conditions improve. Our big thanks to Bloomberg's Isabel Lee out in New York. Another company we're watching, Cloud Software provider Snowflake displaying signs of caution after its sales outlook for the third quarter came in line with expectations. Bloomberg's Brody Ford has everything on the software beat. Brody, what's the story with Snowflake? Snowflake's one of those really interesting companies where it was just growing like crazy a year or two ago. We're talking, you know, doubling every year in terms of revenue. But of course, like every other software company out there, it hit this point where all of its customers said, whoa, our budgets with you have grown insanely. And so what's really been hitting Snowflake is the same thing that's been hitting AWS or Microsoft Azure is that their customers are saying, how can we trim our bill a little bit? And that's really what's been impacting Snowflake. You know, they're still growing pretty heavily, right? I mean, we're talking like about around 30% revenue growth. But at the end of the day, they're really having trouble with those big customers because they want to trim their budgets. It's interesting reading through the analyst reactions and Barclay is saying, look, after two quarters of lowered annual guidance, the fact that it's unchained yep. is actually a pretty good sign. Why yep. are we therefore seeing a sell-off? Why are people seeing more caution around this than optimism and stability? It's a good question because there's a funny dynamic where, as you said, it's stabilized. And that's what Amazon said and people loved it. They said, okay, it's not getting 
yours, but it's stabilized. I think people just want to see a reacceleration. But something very funny that happened last night is the results came out. People said, ah, I don't know about this. They were selling off. Then NVIDIA hit. NVIDIA hit and they had an insane result. And everyone said, oh, man, I mean, that's a good sign for AI. And you know what? Snowflake, they'll use that for AI. So it's all good. And so there's a lot of different factors here. Investors want to see growth come back. But sometimes this AI demand might be enough to bring Snowflake up with everybody else. Brody just having a great time after the earnings spread, <laughs> tracking the aftermarket. I mean, to your point, we opened 4% higher yeah. in this morning session on Snowflake. We're down 3.5%, at one point down 6%, a big swing. A lot of that is the market broadly. Snowflake is like this layer on top of the hyperscalers, right, on top of cloud. And they've been trying to tell an AI story that the market wants to make sense of. Have yep. you made sense of it? So yeah, there's an interesting thing where, as you said, Snowflake is a company that helps people organize their data and prepare it for multiple uses. One of those uses could be AI. Of course, every company that's back-end data management right now is saying, hey, 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 we'll help you with AI. Don't worry, we got you. <laughs> and I think a lot of investors are saying, well, you can't all do this. And so that's kind of the question with Snowflake, right? I mean, do they have a really unique positioning as it relates to AI? Some people say they do. Some others would say, no, 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 we'll do it instead. So I think the jury is still out on who really will be able to own this data organizational business as it relates to AI and training large language models. The picks and shovels, the infrastructure is well and truly owned by one, but it feels as though the rest are being squabbled over when it comes to the software applications. Brody Ford, brilliant. Thank you so much. Meanwhile, coming up, look, the impact of the SEC's crypto crackdown on one of the oldest digital asset exchanges. Have all the details next. From San Francisco and from New York, and the sprinkling of Washington, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Forum.com. 
time for Talking Tech. First up, Walmart is planning its longest distance drone deliveries yet by teaming up with Alphabet's Wing. It's going to be at two Dallas area stores. They've got FDA approval to drop off food and other household essentials as far as six miles away from that store. And VinFast Auto is seeing a head-scratching surge, giving the money-losing EV startup a bigger market cap this time than Citigroup. By the way, famed short seller Jim Chanos is even calling the stock's valuation, quote, insane. Plus, Bitstamp, one of the oldest digital asset exchanges, will discontinue staking services in the US following a crackdown on their products by the SEC. The move takes effect on September 25th. Caroline. All eyes, of course, on that story. And let's just dwell on it for a moment. Bloomberg Shanali Basak is for, here for more on that latest story. And what's the read from the market on it? The read from the market is that this is just another player here that you're seeing not able to engage in the staking service when we are watching Coinbase clearly fight the issue. And we've seen the volatility kind of hover over the market when it comes to, of course, this means more for Ethereum than it does for, say, Bitcoin. However, uh, without staking, you don't have that proof of stake model working out the way that the market was so excited for. Remember the exuberance that surrounded this kind of new model that was supposed to be less energy dependent than the mining industry, that was supposed to potentially have more favorable economics for a wider array of people, given that the control would be changing in terms of uh, the way that it is held over time. So uh, a lot of questions for the model itself, but remember Coinbase has been still sticking to the staking model, while we have seen now crack as well as Bitstamp start to throw in the towel. The uh, other piece of news than headlines that we've seen across this morning is FTX court filings. What's the latest with FTX, Shanani? Now, this is really interesting because you are watching them look to Galaxy. Remember, this is still a bankruptcy process in which the FTX and John Jay had, John Ray, I'm sorry, had looked over and looked to Galaxy Asset Management. This is a business run by a fellow named Steve Kurz that would oversee a certain amount of assets. What happens from here? A certain amount of these assets will be essentially liquidated. And sold so that they could shore up money to pay the creditors back over at FTX. There is a fee that Galaxy would take, although from now until the court approval, things could definitely change from here. But there is an aspect of this as well where they don't want to get rid of that Bitcoin and Ether right away as well because the value and the price could change. Mm -hmm. So while a certain number of these tokens can be sold into the market, there will be a number here that are going to be held, managed, and hedged in order to maintain the most value for the firm. Remind us, there have been some creditor frustrations, to say the least, about the fear that they were losing money because some of these assets weren't being sold off in a, in a meticulous manner. Yeah, and the idea here is that they would give it to somebody who would have the ability to manage these assets in the most profitable way at the end of the day. Remember, time value of money. If you're not getting your money back today, how long do you have to wait and what happens to those assets? Would Bitcoin, Ether, and some of these tokens continue to decline in value? That is, of course, a concern for the creditors, which is why they are holding some of that Bitcoin and Ether and hedging the exposure rather than selling that off right away as they are looking to do with some of these other tokens. We have to remind ourselves, sorry, Carol, on Bloomberg Technology, that the whole point of this story is about whether people get their money back or not. You know, people that had assets with not just in the US but multiple jurisdictions. Are we at a place where we can answer that question, Shanali? 
It's early. I think it's early, and the reason it's early is even with these assets in itself, like I said, it's a court process. So it's not even that Galaxy is taking over those assets tomorrow and selling them off into the market and giving the money back to the creditors right away. It will take time, and there is friction as they look. It's not the only assets that FTX has, so it will take time to see what ultimately will be recouped. Now, if they do sell these assets at a decent price, there could be some money, of course, and a certain degree of funds reclaimed for creditors, but even the creditors would expect that it would be materially less than what they walked in with. Shanali, all over that story, all over the cryptosphere for us today. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Kara, let's check on the markets. NVIDIA is the big story. And the market from a technology sector perspective have opened higher. NASDAQ 100 has swung from a pretty modest gain in the first hour of trading. We're now down 1.3%. The story is kind of evolving towards Jackson Hole Friday when we hear from Fed Chair Powell, yields are creeping higher. NVIDIA pretty much one of the only names now in the technology sector that is still in the green. Earnings a big part of it as we've covered, right? We had Snowflake now disappointing to the downside. There is one stock that is frankly on a hyperbolic trajectory and we're not really sure what's going on but let's quickly talk about VinFast because at current gains the company listing via SPAC just a week ago has a market cap of more than 100 billion at one point in the session it had a market cap of more than 120 billion so if you took Ford General Motors and throw in Rivian for good measure and combined them you have VinFast that's only delivered a thousand vehicles here in the US and then recalled all of them I have a lot of experience covering EV companies went public via SPAC this one makes no sense to me either and then I I guess finally the name we're looking at is Twilio. Twilio out with a new kind of suite of AI-powered products on the data management side. I think what's interesting about this story is they're kind of responding to what is customer demand. The news was out 24 hours ago. The stock closed around 2% higher. It's now down about 2%. But again, consider the broader market and where we're going in the tech sector in particular. And so many, Ed, have said the amount of productivity gains, the real value is going to be in proprietary data. And well, maybe you access it through Twilio. We're pleased to say we've got the CEO. Jeff Lawson to talk about the rollout of your new products and ultimately that end user demand. What are your customers wanting to have when it comes to accessing and making the most of their customer data? Well, look, I think we all know that, you know, AI is going to transform so many parts of business. And it all comes down to the quality of the data that you're going to bring and feed AI that's going to provide proprietary outcomes for companies. And so the way we look at it is if companies are able to take all the information they know about their customers, right, every click, every scroll, every propensity to buy, all that information, and feed it to an AI, it can make those companies 10 times better at serving their customers and do it at a tenth of the price. That's because you can take uh, you know, make your marketers 10 times as effective by designing and executing marketing campaigns automatically. You can make your contact center 10 times as effective by automating so many of those conversations. You make your sales team 10 times as effective because you can automate so many of those early conversations. And so because of this, we think companies that combine their customer data with advanced AI are going to be able to get 10 times better at a tenth of the cost. Jeff, I hear you, and I I hate to sound in any way jaded around this AI euphoria, but I feel like everyone's making an announcement about how they can supercharge their clients using artificial intelligence and generative AI. Why is your offering different? 
Well, it really all comes down to the data. And we have a segment, which is the leading real-time CDP. CDP is a customer data platform. And what it does is we work with leading companies. It allows them to ingest all the signals that they get from their customers. Now, mind you, this is all first-party data, but every website visit, every click, every scroll, everything people buy, everything they don't buy, right, and turn that into a profile, that's an understanding of that customer. And when you take an understanding of your customer and then feed it to AI, and the reason why I am so bullish on AI is that you look at ChatGPT, right? You look at a lot of these applications that are getting built. These are computers that can reason. Like you can look at ChatGPT and it will reason its way through solving a hard problem in the way that a human would do it. Now you feed it knowledge of your customers and say reason through how to target my customers to get better offers in their hands. Reason through how to design a marketing campaign that's going to do better than maybe one that a human would design. And I think we are going to see great success with those AIs being able to do those amazing things. Uh, like Caro, I'm jaded too. You know, we handle a lot of headlines in this way. The way that Caroline's been describing it, if you take NVIDIA, it's like the picks and shovels yes. of, of the AI chain. You and I have discussed this before, but if you think about the large language model or underlying algorithms, you're basically technology agnostic because you're working with both OpenAI and Google. Why is that beneficial to you to say, oh, we'll work with anyone where we can benefit? Yeah, well, it's the right model for the right use case. And so we have partnered. We partner with Google for certain use cases. We partnered with OpenAI yesterday around our AI personalization engine. And we're going to partner with others as well. And the key thing is taking the right model, the right technology to go solve the right problem. But I do believe this is day zero of AI. And so it is at the infrastructure stage. That's why you see NVIDIA, right, uh, posting the results they are. Well, we look at it as companies today, they are getting their data AI ready because they know this world is coming and they need to get all of their customer data into a format where when these use cases become a reality, they're able to combine it with the powers of large language models and actually get these kinds of outcomes. I actually wanted to ask if you could walk us through how Twilio as a management team came to this decision because in the second line of, of our story, in the first paragraph, it says Twilio is responding to customer demand. So is this just a case of customers kicking down your door, Jeff, and saying, we need this, make it for us, please? Well, if you think about it, if AI is able to get 10 times better results, which I firmly believe, at one-tenth of the cost of prior solutions, right, where you needed humans to go do all the work. Well, guess what? The economic incentives for companies to invest in this technology are going to be undeniable. Right? If you can get a you know, roughly 100x outcome by investing in a technology, every company is going to need it if they're going to survive and thrive in this AI-powered world. And so that's why every conversation that I have with customers today is all about AI. Because companies are asking the questions, how is this going to radically transform my business and my industry in the coming one, two, five, and 10 years? And they're building uh, and they're starting those investments today. Caroline, the conversations that you and I have every single day are all all about AI, but with investors principally. Yeah. And on that note, a more sensitive question, I suppose, for you, Jeff, and that point is you've got customers knocking down your door. Have you got investors knocking down your door asking how you're managing to capitalize on this moment? In particular, I ask because we are on the lookout for activist investor interaction, of course. Some of your expiry that's happened in terms of your founder's shares means perhaps you're a little bit more exposed. 
Well, look, without uh, dual-class shares, we are in the, in the category of nearly every public company that exists. So I don't think it's really a, a newsworthy story. Uh, but we have been very active participants with our investors, understanding what they want from us as a management team and doing uh, substantive actions representing the needs and the desires of our shareholders. And so we've taken uh, a major actions. We've uh, taken the company from really focused on growth and never making a substantive profit to a company that's now throwing off you know, more than 10% non-GAAP operating margins in just the course of six months. And so I think that is some amazing progress that we've made, listening to the needs of investors, responding and taking substantive actions while we're investing in this exciting new roadmap around AI and uh, customer AI. Jeff, I like that you take us there, that you almost remind us of the macro picture that you're trying to navigate right now. It is one where people want to see not growth at any cost, but growth at profitable costs here. And, I, and I'm interested in what you're seeing from clients. Yes, there's AI euphoria, but are people pulling back? Are people reticent, worried, nervous to spend? Well, companies are rightly looking at their investments and saying, are these the right investments? Have we invested in you know, the right software and are we getting an ROI from these investments? And I think in the cases where they're not seeing an ROI, they may be pulling back or they may be reducing. Think about SaaS. SaaS is seat-based for most companies. And so if, you know, with all the layoffs that have gone on in a lot of companies, you need fewer seats, right? So there's those things happening. But at the same time, companies are looking at this moment with technology still continuing to grow. The economy is still doing fairly well and A, right around the corner, they're saying, how do I make sure I have the right investments to fuel our growth going forward while looking at some of the older investments and saying, hmm, are those still the ones that we need? And so I think we're seeing a lot of that. And the nice thing about our business model is that we're usage-based, right? We're not selling seats and we're not selling, there's no such thing as shelfware in a uh, usage-based model. And so all of the money that companies pay us today is value that they are getting. And I think companies that sell seats or companies that have had a history of selling shelfware, i.e. software the company didn't really need, uh, those companies are struggling because uh, those clients are, are pulling back on in their investments. Jeff, it's great to see you in person, have you here on set. AI in San Francisco seems like a big story to me. You seem to be spending more time with CEOs of other companies doing things. Can you just talk a little bit about whether or not what's happening with AI has actually brought some of the tech industry here back together a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, look, San Francisco has become the center of the AI universe. Uh, you've got OpenAI, their headquarters is down in the mission, right? You've got a lot of companies participating in this AI revolution right in this area and in the broader tech community. And look, I think that uh, the advent of what we're seeing with large language models, computers that can reason, this is going to be bigger than the mobile revolution we saw, give or take, 15 years ago. This is probably about as big as the advent of the internet on what it means for business, what it means for society. And so that's why you see a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, a lot of developers going to work, building, exploring what's now possible. And that's the energy that I feel sitting here in San Francisco and inside of Silicon Valley. Uh, Jeff Lawson, Twilio CEO. You were the first Ed board I did when I moved here from London. I think it was five and a half years ago now. It's good to have you back here in the seat. Caro, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, Salesforce, another name here in SF, gave me in on AI with a funding round for Hugging Face. We're going to have more details on that next. And Hugging Face's CEO, Clem DeLong, joins us on set. I think you have some more breaking news as well. We do. Let's talk about document management. Boy, we've done data management. We've, of course, done all the areas in which companies are optimizing their data. But let's talk about managing your documents. Dropbox, actually, Singlink could be charging you a little bit more for it. New cloud storage plan fees are going to be announced later Thursday, we understand. They're going to be ending their unlimited cloud document storage for customers. At one point we went positive and then we sat back down again. From New York and from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology.
What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. All right, some big funding news in the world of AI with Salesforce leading a financing round in hugging face, giving the company a $4.5 billion valuation. The startup, which helps companies store and use AI software, has risen as one of the main players in the field. CEO Clem DeLong joins us now for more on that round, along with Bloomberg's Rachel Metz. Rachel leads our AI coverage and reported on this round. Rachel, take it away. Good morning. Um, Clem, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about this funding round. Why did you go with this group of investors, which includes, as Ed said, Salesforce, there's uh, Google in there, Amazon, a bunch of big name tech companies? Yeah, we're super excited about this ecosystem round. I think it's pretty unique. I haven't seen in the past a round with uh, so many big players around around the table. We have Salesforce, we have Google, we have Amazon, we have NVIDIA, Intel, AMD, IBM, Qualcomm. Um, I think it's a um, good signal for, for hugging face, obviously, with this kind of like collaborative platform that all these people and most of the AI builders are, are using, uh, but also for uh, open source AI in, in general, which is kind of like a trend that we've seen developing uh, for, for the past few months. One of the things that I'm curious about is how your company pivoted from its initial product. Initially, when I first met you years ago, you guys were working on a chatbot. So how did you go from chatbot to an AI platform that tons and tons of companies and individuals use to share their AI models with other people? Yeah, it was quite a, quite a journey. Um, it's really kind of like the, the community uh, the companies, the users that really uh, drove us, right? Uh, we were building this conversational AI uh, and we were lucky to kind of like uh, work for quite a long time on the underlying infrastructure for this conversational AI, which including the ability to kind of like have a lot of different models, a lot of different data sets and kind of like build a system that makes sense. And when we started to kind of like share some of that with the community, 
something really wonderful happened, which is that uh, open source contributors started to come in and, and kind of like contribute to the platform that we released in open source. Uh, researchers started to kind of like share their models. So most of the open source uh, AI models that you've heard of today have been added to, to the platform, like uh, Bloom, uh, for example, uh, Llama 2, Llama, Llama 1, Llama 2, Llama code that has been released today, um, yeah. stable diffusion. Uh, all these models have been added by the community, and that's really kind of like what drove us to go from this kind of like end use case to providing the platform for all AI builders. Clem, what's so interesting though is that it feels like there's this inherent sort of tension. You've got a community, an open source community, and at the same time trying to build an enterprise business that makes millions and millions of dollars for its investors. How do you treat your community within this sudden moment? The good thing is that we can look at other examples, right? If you look at uh, GitHub, uh, they've done that quite well at a much larger scale than, uh, than we are now, right? They have over 100 million users. Uh, they're kind of like the main platform for uh, software engineers, similar to uh, us being the main platform for AI, AI builders. The way we approach that is by kind of like setting a clear boundary um, and kind of like a public um, and kind of like a strategy that when uh, users are contributing, for example, publishing models uh, in the open for others to use, uh, it's free and it's always going to stay free, right? But when it's a company that is using for like the private commercial gain without contributing to the community, it's fair that uh, we make money out of that and the money that we make there is funding all the open source and all the free products yes. that we can offer to develop the community. Clem, I want to go back to the investors again and talk about not just the money, but the strategy. I, I understand this is an all-cash round, but you share investors with some pretty big AI companies. Take NVIDIA, for example, which is backed Inflection AI. When Mustafa Saliman came on to beat Bloomberg Technology with me, he didn't care about the cash. He cared about all the GPUs that he'd secured from NVIDIA. Is there any strategic or compute advantage to this group you've assembled? So all these companies, they are using massively Hugging Face already and contributing massively to Hugging Face. Uh, collectively, they have over 10,000 team members using the platform and they have shared over 1,000 open models on, on Hugging Face. So we plan to kind of like double down on that. However, something that we wanted to do during this round is to make sure that uh, there's no strings attached, there's no commitment uh, on, our, on our sides um in exchange to this this investment so it's a pure cash deal um really separated to uh, some of the other commercial collaborations that we can have with these uh with these companies of course having them aligned with us yeah. uh, on the cap table is a good strategic advantage to keep developing uh, our partnerships with these companies I'm really curious to know what you're planning to do with some of this money. We spoke, you and I spoke the other day. Um, you said you're going to put some of it in the bank. Um, what are you going to do with the rest of it? Yeah, we really think that uh, you know we're on the long-term technology trend here. Even if uh, AI is all the rage right now, we're pretty early. Uh, ultimately, we believe it's going to be the default paradigm to build all tech. Uh, so in this perspective, we're still early, so we want to make sure that, you know, we're here and betting on the long term, right, on the next 10 years. 
Um, however, we're going to use a little bit of this money to keep growing the team. We're 170 team members right now, uh, and we're planning to keep hiring uh, quite a lot. Uh, and as you know, uh, hiring in AI right now is very, very competitive, especially for like the best people uh, in science and engineering that, that we're uh, looking for taking place. Really great to have some time with you, Clem DeLong. We want to thank you, Hugging Face CEO on the latest round. And of course, the person reporting on all of that and asking brilliant questions is Rachel Metz. We thank her for all of her work. And look, let's just stick with AI. We're just talking about Llama, of course. Let's talk about Llama a little bit more. Meta just launching a new artificial intelligence coding tool called Code Llama and uses generative AI, surprise, surprise, to help developers work faster by suggesting lines of software code. Primo's Asia Counts joins us now. So some monetization coming in here. Yeah, ex exactly. Right. They're, they're taking Code Llama and they're allowing people to actually use it for commercial use, which is an interesting play because you'll have some companies that will be able to use it for free and then make money off of it. And then Meta might also charge some of the larger companies. So there's a couple different ways that they can make money, but it's a really good opportunity for companies that want a, a cheap or free sort of tool to, to be able to make money for free. Uh, Caro, Aisha, I'm just going to say it. This looks very similar to Microsoft's GitHub. <laughs> in fact, they're basically the same. Is that fair, Aisha? I think that's fair. And, and that's part of, I think, the play here, right? I know Meta has talked about wanting to make things open source and available to sort of like democratize access, but you can't help but avoid that comparison to GitHub, right? Like this could be a way to undercut GitHub if companies can, can use Code Llama and then not have to pay for GitHub. I mean, you, you have to take a look at that too. All right, Bloomberg's Asia Counts and all things Meta. enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like chat gpt standing up here oh chat gpt getting a shout out by the presidential hopeful there chris christie i mean he was attacking at the time the other fellow candidate vivek ramaswamy and this was more about what he well the way in which he says that climate change is a hoax for example but interesting that technology was so ingrained in last night's republican presidential yeah. debate that was the big takeaway for me. I think, you know, he said that he sounded like ChatGPT, but I think you and I have both been over the search data on Google Trends, right? So Ramaswamy, I think, was the most searched uh, of the participants overnight. There's the data. That's astonishing. You know, I think he's kind of come into the public consciousness because of last night. And at the same time, Caro, you have a completely different on-air discussion happening on the Platform X. Yeah, I mean, the rub for Fox, I suppose, having said goodbye to Tucker Carlson and then at exactly the same time, he's busy interviewing Donald Trump who refused to come on the overall debates in an interview on X. It was sort of counter-programming, yeah. which of course is still being fought out at the moment. Yeah, and from X's perspective, you know, video on that platform, mm. it raised a lot of questions. When I last looked at the, the tweet the video is posted to, it said 210 million views. But does that really mean 210 million people watched the full 46-minute thing? We have to find out. And I wonder how Ron DeSantis felt about it all. Of course, having announced his run on X, well, it was formerly known as Twitter at that point, right? And it, yeah. well, wasn't the most slick introduction as it happened full of tech issues at that point but meanwhile no tech issues here that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology yeah massive week massive show all about Nvidia so don't forget to recap on our podcast Apple Spotify iHeart and our Bloomberg platforms we have one day and a mega week to go from over in New York and here in San Francisco this is Bloomberg Technology
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.